Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior-level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Hello and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stutter. And we are joined today by Beth Toussaint. And Beth has an interesting story that actually we haven't fully dug into because we just looked at her LinkedIn to get a little bit more, but we like to try to like not ask much about it off of the podcast so that we can be equally as excited when we're on the, the podcast. But I do think that your recent pivot will be of interest to people. And if you end up feeling comfortable sharing the current company you're at, I think a lot of folks probably have some experience with the company too. So they'll be curious to know about your pivot and how you, you know, landed where you are at and how it's going for you. So um, all of that said, if you can get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and um, what did you do in campus space positions and um where are you at now? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I spent 13 years in career services. I'm in upstate New York, so I traveled between four different institutions in that time. I did my master's in school counseling. And then when I graduated, I was kind of exploring a little bit outside of that K through 12 space and landed in higher ed and kind of fell in love with it. That was the best combination. Career services was kind of the combination of all the things I really liked about the school counseling space in the first place. So I just kind of stuck it out in higher ed. So I spent 13 years in career services, helping students work on resumes, uh, kind of figuring out their career planning, um, doing a lot of like career development, helping them figure out what they wanted to do with their lives, internship planning, job search, um, that kind of stuff. And I worked at Mall Liberal Arts, um, larger technical institution, uh, business school. So kind of saw the gambit in terms of different student backgrounds and kind of different goals that they were trying to achieve. Now I work for EAB, which is based out of DC, but I work fully remote. Um, so I'm still up in upstate New York and um, I work as an implementation specialist. Okay, so we're going to dive into that, Beth, because yeah. I will admit when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I got really excited because what you do is, similar to the department that I oversee at my company, because um, I oversee onboarding, implementation, and training. Um, and so I know I love to talk about it. So I'm hoping that you do too. Tell us a little bit about what that means and and what your day-to-day looks like and, and your pivot from an education or a campus-based role to this really worked for you because of the skills that you that you learned when you were on a campus. Okay, that's a lot of things. So I'm going to die. Like, if we <laughs> might break it down again, let me know. <laughs> yeah, so... 
Um, so as an implementation specialist, uh, EAB, just to kind of start there, is an educational technology and consulting organization. So uh, the clients that I work with are admissions offices. That's kind of the, the product that I work on um, is based primarily with admissions. So my role is to work with admissions offices to implement a new technology that they've just purchased and kind of get them up and running. So I'm the step in between sales. Someone else has sold them the thing. I then help them get it up and running, kind of get them familiar with it, help them with adoption, understanding some of those best practices, um, and doing a lot of the configuration so that it, it meets the goals of that particular admissions office. And then I hand them off to my at EAB and call them partners, but my, my customer success team. So I'm kind of that in-between person to get them up and running and to do some of that like technical configuration between the sales and the then long-term success process of their, their life cycle. The second part was, how did I get in that, maybe? Yeah, so like, what skills really from your campus position allowed you to sort of move into this position without, with, with Eve, I guess? Yeah, so I think a big piece of it is like being able to prioritize and project plan. So a lot of it is keeping track of the different clients that I'm working with. Where are they in the process? The follow-up piece, as many of us know, working in higher ed, a lot of it is like chasing down students or being able to develop programs and kind of being able to project plan and, and see not just this week, but several weeks ahead and be able to kind of keep on top of all of the different competing priorities that we might have. Um, so I think that project management and prioritization was a really big piece of being able to kind of step into this and be able to already be able to kind of go with the flow. Knowing the higher ed cycle is helpful, even though I was coming from career services, knowing the work that admissions offices do just from kind of my interactions on that side um, was helpful to kind of understand when I was coming in, where were admissions offices? What are their goals in general? What are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to accomplish with bringing in their next class? So that prior knowledge of just how higher ed functions and really what they're trying to do in that enrollment space was really helpful. Um, and people skills. So my job in career services was 100% about relationships, working with departments, working with employers, working with students, trying to build that rapport, develop those relationships quickly and, and maintain those relationships and have students want to keep coming back, have employers want to continue to work with me. And it's very similar in kind of a, a customer facing role. So being able to work with the admissions offices to understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. How can my product help them achieve that thing? How can I help them to get it set up in a way that's going to do that and maintain that, that collaborative work through the implementation process before kind of handing them off to the next step? Yeah, I always describe like what we do as like, like and partly because this is what I did in my previous life is like the orientation office. Like you're not, you've been admitted, you're not yet a student, but you're sort of in this middle ground where we got to get you set up. I have a quick follow-up and then I promise Jamie, I won't ask too many more follow-ups just because Beth, I get excited when I get to talk to people that are in the same space as I am. You are a technical implementation specialist, right? So you do some technical work. So how much technical sort of acumen did you have coming into the role? How much do you feel like you need? So if somebody's out there thinking, I want to do that, like what level do they need to be proficiency? What level of technical proficiency do they need to be at either before or what will the company maybe provide to them in order to be successful? Yeah, great question. So working in career services, basically at each institution, I implemented a new career management software. So that was part of why I like looking at that field in the first place, because I really enjoyed working on the flip side of it, of like kind of helping to run those implementations or being part of the team that was doing implementation. 
and like problem solving through how do I make this work for my office? How do I get this to achieve the functions that we need here? And so I think in terms of a level of technical acumen, if you are curious about how things work, if you're the person in your office that loves to go behind the scenes and click the button and like figure out how do I get that report to come out? Nobody seems to know. I'm going to do it. So if you're curious to, if, if you're the person who's curious to make it work and to figure it out, you don't need to know how to code. I don't know how to code. You don't need to be an engineer in order to do implementation. It just depends a little bit on the product that you're on. So the product that I'm on doesn't actually have a lot of buttons. It's not hugely configurable. Doing implementations in career services, I actually worked on some products that were more configurable, more backend, more technically complicated than the product that I'm working on now. So I think it was more just my desire to problem solve and also desire to work with the the client to kind of problem solve and help them make it work for what they wanted it to do, which is part configuration and part strategy. How can we take what we have here and make it align with what you're trying to do with it? There is a technical element. There's also a willingness to just be that problem solver, to go behind the scenes and kind of test things, run it through a bunch of times until you figure out what's the best way to do it. Um, Some more of that like technical curiosity versus being like a programmer. The second part of that in terms of how it, was there anything I was kind of missing that my company helped me learn? I think I've gotten involved a little bit more on the data side of things, which can be very common for implementation roles to kind of help figure out that data integration with whatever current systems um, the client might be using. So I have taken like a class in SQL to be able to kind of get familiar with that. I don't necessarily need to be able to write SQL, but being able to read SQL queries and kind of figure out in a database, where is the thing that I'm looking for in this database? Where is it connected in other places? Um, So again, I don't have to program, but it was something that was beneficial. And that was within the first like three or four weeks that they were like, oh, just take this class. Here's some money to go do this thing, which which was pretty nice. So I felt like supported in learning that thing that I wasn't as comfortable with. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing both sort of the area that you needed to upskill, but also the foundational kind of competency, but also passion that you had coming into the role. And and wanted to just, first of all, having come from ed tech most recently myself, want to underscore that like, um, you should like technology a fair amount to go into ed tech, people like, um, it's called tech with the ed for a reason. Um, that said, um, let's assume that we have a bunch of um, people who are passionate about tech, which I think COVID helped um, with that. Would you, you know, give them some advice around sort of how did you find this opportunity? How did you land on it? And how did you market yourself to get the position? So kind of going a little bit back to like my search in general, I wasn't super motivated in my search. I enjoyed my position. I liked my role in career services. I liked the office that I was in, the team that I was on. But I was just kind of starting to look at, you know, I've got 13 years behind me in career services. I've got another however many years left in my career. Is it time to try something new? You know, getting to a certain point in my career, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into one role. And I felt like if I went too many more years deep, I might be heading in that direction Um, and kind of looking ahead to what opportunities would be in career services. I liked some of the opportunities and other things I was not as excited about. So I was very casually looking, not necessarily 
super active in my search. So I think around, I probably applied for around 10 roles over maybe like six or seven months. It was like very casual. This one, I believe I actually found because it was posted in my job database for my students. So I was reviewing jobs for my students to promote to them and was like, ah, that looks really interesting. Well, I think that's where the blank came from. So it is kind of more of an entry level-ish type role. But again, knowing that I was moving to a completely new field, um, I think it was like two to three years experience is kind of what they were looking for. That I was kind of looking at something that was going to be a little more entry level because I was making a pivot and, and entering a field that was new to me. So I would be entry level in that role. So that's how I found it. In terms of marketing myself, luckily, I was good at writing resumes because I have written thousands and thousands of resumes or I assisted with thousands and thousands of resumes over the years. I more or less rewrote my resume. I did not start with my career services resume. I started with the jobs that I was applying for. I pulled up a bunch of different implementation jobs. I looked a lot at what it was that they were asking for, what language were they using, um, what were some of the key skills that they wanted. And then I reflected on the experiences that I had had doing implementations from the flip side and that mainly what my resume had on it. So I might have had one intro bullet point that was like, this is kind of my job. But then every bullet point after that was, these were the implementation processes. This is what I did. I set up the data feeds. I you know, did marketing out at launch. I did. So it was really focused on the process of implementing those previous implementations I had done kind of on the flip side of the, the user. I focused a lot on that on my resume. So I ended up creating a one pager just based on those uh, three or four implementations that I had done previously. So, Beth, there's so much uh, sort of amplified from your answer there. You know, one, that you know the skills are transferable, right? Like that what we've done before, we can do in the world outside of the of a campus-based position. I also appreciate the the fact that it took you some time, even though you weren't necessarily like, you know, every day applying for like 40 jobs, it took some time. And and one of the things that a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people that come to Jamie and I struggle with is they want out and they want out tomorrow. And it takes time because you're pivoting into a new world. You're pivoting into a new sort of, not only a new position, but a, a new world. And it takes time uh, to sort of do that. But then also what I really liked was that you talked about the, it was an entry-level pivot because it was a new field for you, a new role for you. And, and I think a lot of our folks get hung up for better or for worse. You know, I, I know I also experienced this, you know, uh, that I'm a director, I'm an assistant dean, I'm a dean, and I don't want to be a level one person anymore. I, I'm past that. I have a master's. I have a doctorate. And it's not necessarily about the years of experience that you have. It's about the experience that you have in that field. And it's okay to sort of take that step down or take that quote unquote demotion and title. Sometimes it's equal money or it may even be more money when you pivot out of, out of a campus-based position. But I really appreciate that you went in, into that. I want to explore one area that's maybe a little bit different is what do you miss about your campus-based position that maybe you're not able to get in your current role. And you can't say students. <laughs> I, I'd still talk to some of my students. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so, that's really interesting. So I think one of the biggest shifts has been I work fully remotely now. Um, so that's a change from previously. And I was, I was kind of going in the direction of like, I really miss the team that I worked with. Like, I think that I worked with a lot of really smart, motivated, capable people who we really liked trying new things. We worked really well together. We each kind of brought something different to the table. 
Um, so I really liked my, the team that I was working with, but I don't have a bad team now. So I'm <laughs> trying to think, like, I like my team now, but I think there is something different about working remotely. Like, there's not as much of the water cooler type, like, hey, let's just go grab lunch. You know, I'm just going to come sit down in your office and vent to you about this, <laughs> this student that I just met with. Like, it's more, oh, I have the scheduled meeting. I'll tell my supervisor about it later or whatever. So it's, it's a little more structured in that way, being remote. But overall, I still love working remotely. So I would say that's kind of a small, for me at least, that's kind of a small trade-off because I still have a good team. It's just the dynamics are a little different being remote. Yeah, it's um, the reason I asked the question is I think there's a little bit of us, uh, a little bit of in, in, in us that, that liked our, our campus based position that, that we feel like, oh, a little bit of me is going to die when I take on this new position. I'm going to not have this or I'm not going to have this. And, and it is a trade off, right? And then it's okay to have that trade off. And I tell people all the time, it's okay to sort of mourn the what was and also be excited about the what is going to be, that those two things can, can equally be true at the same time. And I, I really enjoy hearing from folks that, you know, again, weren't like racing to get out the door of, of a campus-based physician and, and we're doing it methodically and doing it for a reason, you know, to, for themselves, not necessarily because, you know, they were, they were in a toxic environment or they hated their job or they hated their supervisor or whatever the case may be. So I appreciate yeah. you indulging me on that. I think I, I thought really hard about what it was that I wanted to do. And, and like, I spent a lot of time reflecting on like, what are the things that I really enjoy about my work? And it, and it, yes, there's students, but I'm still super interactive. Like I work with my clients um, daily. So I'm still very interactive with people. Um, so I just kind of thought about like, what are the things that I would really miss? And part of it too, is I, I had held four different positions. Like I had been at four different institutions. So I made those shifts over time. And I already knew because I made those shifts over time, the grass was not always greener. You're always going to miss something about the previous position. But if you're heading in the next direction and you're getting a little bit more of what you do enjoy, or you're making that move for a reason, um, then of course you're going to miss certain things, but there's always going to be that thing that you went to, to that next opportunity. So I, I kind of expected that and knew that from, because I'd already made shifts in my career. I I would uh, definitely think your background as a career person has helped you to do this reflection because I think a lot of the people that Tom and I consult with have made the decision they want to pivot some because they're running away some because they want to do something different it's not a negative but a lot of times they're just immediately like well what what should I do what can I do and Tom likes those folks that know what they want to do because he just likes to, okay, let me do your resume. Let's move on. I like to, to to like start from the ground floor of like, well, if you think about like the best day you've had in the last three months, what did you do? What did that look like? And, you know, guiding them through things you, I'm presuming, did for yourself to really reflect on what is important that I retain in my current role and what do I want to not do and all of the things. So um, that all sounds um, very validating to what I know we advise folks to do as well. Um, that said, we're, we're at our final question for you, which is that if you had to give a quick elevator pitch on your advice for someone pivoting, what would you share? I kind of said this earlier in terms of how I approached it, but <laughs> this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people, but 
don't just like try and change your resume to be something that it's not. So don't take your two or three page student <laughs> resume or whatever it was before and try and change a couple words here and there and think that all of a sudden it's the whole other resume. It's not. So like really evaluate the opportunity that you're going for. Really evaluate when that employer is reading it. Are they going to see a student affairs resume or are they going to see the job that they're trying to hire for? Um, so my my advice would be sometimes it is just easier to start with a blank slate. And it's easier to get to one page if you just start with a blank slate than to try and make something that you've already written into something that it's not. That would be my biggest piece of advice. <laughs> Beth, I feel like we should bring you on to the pivoting out of EDU team because that is a piece of advice that we try to give to everybody. And and part of it is from my own experience, right? Like I remember trying to sit down and edit my resume and it was still four pages when I edited my resume and I thought, well, this is not working. And then when I started for, completely from scratch, I was able to get it down to one and a half and I felt, okay, this is, this is, a, this is a much better resume. And instead of trying to like just tweak things. It became sort of a new resume that was really focused on on um, on results and not responsibility. So I really appreciate that. Don't try and make your resume something it's not. Great advice from our guests. Thank you, Beth, so much for joining us today. What a great episode filled with such great advice. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation today with Beth. Check back next week for another episode of Pivoting Out of EDU. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, We offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.